Welcome to SCOTUScast, a project of the Federalist Society for Law and Public Policy Studies. Our contributors join us from around the country to bring you expert commentary on U.S. Supreme Court cases as they are argued and decisions are issued. The Federalist Society takes no position on particular legal or public policy issues. All expressions of opinion are those of the speaker. Hello and welcome to SCOTUScast. I'm your host, Justin Drewer, on behalf of the Faculty Division of the Federalist Society. We're here today to discuss Moac Mall Holdings, LLC, v. Transfer Hold Co., LLC, which was argued before the court on December 5th, 2022. It's my honor to introduce our guest today, Professor Thomas Plank. He's a professor emeritus at the University of Tennessee College of Law, where he taught bankruptcy, property, and commercial law for 27 and a half years. He's published over 30 articles on bankruptcy and commercial law issues. Before then, he practiced law for 19 years, including seven years as issuer's counsel and bankruptcy counsel for securitization and structured finance transactions, and continued to serve as a part-time consultant on bankruptcy and UCC issues in securitizations and structured finance transactions. And to to talk about the case today, I will hand things over to Professor Plank to uh, talk about the background of the case and... uh, and and how we got to how how we got to the, the Supreme Court here, right? Well, thank you very much. Um, yeah, this case uh, presents uh, a very interesting issue. It's the issue of whether a particular subsection of the Bankruptcy Code deprives an appellate court of jurisdiction to reverse or modify a bankruptcy court order authorizing the sale of property of the estate, or whether this limitation is mere whether this subsection is merely a limitation on the remedial consequences of a reversal or modification of a sale authorization order. And the distinction is significant. Limitations on jurisdiction are not subject to waiver, forfeiture, or judicial estoppel. Limitations on remedies are subject to waiver, forfeiture, and judicial estoppel. Uh, Under section 363 of the Banksy Code, a bankruptcy trustee, which includes a debtor in possession in a Chapter 11 case, may, with bankruptcy court approval, sell property of the estate not in the ordinary course of business. To promote the speedy resolution of bankruptcy cases, Section 363M provides that the reversal or modification on appeal of a sale authorization order, quote, does not affect the validity of a sale under such authorization, close quote, with two exceptions. Uh, The limitation does not apply if uh, the buyer is not a good faith purchaser or the authorization order and the sale are stayed pending appeal. This case also involves a relationship between sale of property interest under section 363 which is a broader and more general statutory provision, and the assumption and assignment of leasehold interests under 365. Independent of the 363, see, 365 authorizes the bankruptcy trustee with court approval to assign a debtor's leasehold interest if certain specific conditions are met. Accordingly, the case involves the issue of the extent to which the limitations on appellate review of sales under 363 extend to assignment of leases under 365. 
On the facts of the case, um, Sears Roebuck and Company, which had been in business for more than 100 years, and its affiliates filed for bankruptcy in October 2018. On February 8th, 2019, the bankruptcy court under 363B issued its order authorizing the sale of a substantial portion of Sears assets to transform Holdco LLC, the respondent and its affiliates for $1.4 billion in cash plus other consideration. Transform was newly formed by the former CEO of Sears and other officers. The sale, the asset sale closed three days later on February 11th. Now the sale order did not transfer about 600 leasehold interests that Sears held. Instead, the sale order provided that Transform acquired the right to designate leases that Sears as debtor in possession would assume and then assign to Transform in accordance with section 365, pursued in two separate proceedings, including a separate assignment order. Transform was not obligated to designate any leases the failure to designate any leases did not alter the purchase price paid in February, and Transform was not required to pay any additional cash consideration for each assignment. Now, Sears had leased three stories, which Sears actually had constructed, in the Mall of America Shopping Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, under a lease signed in 1991 and as one of the anchor tenants for Mall of America, at that time, the largest shopping center, I think, in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, the lease was very favorable to Sears. A hundred year term, $10 per year rent, no percentage rent based on sales or revenues. Very few restrictions on assignment, very few restrictions relating to use or tenant mixes. Also, Sears wasn't obligated to operate its resale stores beyond 15 years. Sears was responsible, however, for taxes, utilities, insurance, and common maintenance, and that cost about $1.1 million a year. Well, several months after the February sale order and the sale of the assets, Transform designated the lease in Mall of America for assumption and assignment. The owner of the mall and the lessor, MOAC Mall Holdings LLC, the petitioner, objected on the grounds that the assignment did not meet two specific requirements for assignment of leases of real property in the shopping center. Uh, one subsection required the proposed assignee to have a fin financial profile comparable to the original tenant. And, and, and another section prohibited, subsection prohibited the alteration of tenant mixes. On September 5th, 2019, the Bankruptcy Court rejected MOAC's objections and entered an order approving the assumption and assignment. Uh, uh, the Bankruptcy Court had acknowledged that Transform, as ASME, did not satisfy the specific financial profile required by Section 365B3A, but that Transform nevertheless satisfied the general requirement of adequate assurance of due performance, which these particular provisions relate to, uh, because, uh, the uh, because it satisfied the financial profile required of assinees under the lease. Now, this was a novel sort of ruling or interpretation of this particular provision. 
MAOC appealed the assignment order and also requested that the bankruptcy court stay the assignment order. It was worried that Transformers assignee might assert that Section 363M would bar the appeal. <clears throat> In the hearing on the request for stay of the assignment order, the bankruptcy court stated that Section 363M did not apply because the assignment order was a Section 365 order relating to assumption and assignment of a lease and not a Section 363 order uh, regarding sale of property of the estate. Council for Transform agreed that Section 365 did not apply to the assignment order. For these reasons, the court denied the stay of the assignment order. On appeal, the district court reversed the assignment order on the grounds that the requirements of 365B3A relating to the financial condition of the assignee were not met and rejected the court's reliance simply on the lease provisions as a substitute for that provision. Uh, at that, after that, Transform requested a rehearing. Transform argued for the first time that Section 363M applied to the assignment order and that Section 363M deprived the district court of jurisdiction over the appeal. Upon rehearing, the district court agreed that under binding precedent in the Second Circuit, Section 363M was a jurisdictional limitation, not subject to waiver, forfeiture, or judicial estoppel, and therefore dismissed the appeal. The United States Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit affirmed, and the Supreme Court granted writ of certiorari. Now, MOAC argued in its brief that Section 363M is not a limitation on jurisdiction. Consequently, Transform waived its ability to rely on Section 363M in the Bankruptcy Court. Transform forfeited its ability to rely on Section 363M when it failed to raise the limitations in the initial appeal to the district court, and Transform's ability to rely on Section 363M was judicially estopped under the principles for judicial estoppel. Now, section uh, the petitioner and MOAC, petitioner MOAC and the United States make a good case that Section 363M is not jurisdictional. In 2006, the Supreme Court held in Arbaugh v. Y&H Corp. that a limitation on the jurisdiction of a court must be clearly stated by context. Could be done in the text, in the structure of the statute, or in the statutory context of the statute. And a good example, and I think the only example of that type of clear jurisdictional limitation found in the Banksy Code is Section 305C which provides that an order dismissing a case or suspending all proceedings in a case, quote, is not reviewable by appeal or otherwise. All other, all other provisions relating to jurisdiction of courts relating to bankruptcy are actually in a different title, Title 28 of the United States Code. Uh, as petitioner MOSA in the United States, of America, as Amiki point out, the plain text of Section 363M is so not jurisdictional. By stating that, quote, reversal or modification on appeal does not affect the validity of the sale, close quote, 
Section 363M necessarily implies that the appellate court has jurisdiction to hear the appeal. Further, the limitation in 363M is subject to two conditions. First, the limitation doesn't apply if the sale is made to an entity that did not purchase in good faith. Second, the limitation does not apply if reversal or modification directs a remedy that does not affect the validity of the sale. Transform as respondent recognizes latter point. It noted in its uh, brief that section 363M would not bar a remedy that altered or directed the distribution of proceeds from the sale of the property of the estate. <clears throat> the point, however, raises the question of how can an appellate court make a determination about distribution of proceeds without reviewing the propriety of the authorization and considering all the possible remedies. An interpretation at 363M is jurisdictional, in my mind, would mean that a court couldn't determine if it had jurisdiction until it had fully reviewed the legality of the authorization on appeal and then ruled out all, all remedies other than abrogating the sale. Um, now, the test in terms of statutory context could be met by a long-standing line of Supreme Court decisions left undisturbed by Congress. And there are a few examples of that that the, uh, the United States in particular point out. Um, and, and, and the respondent transform argued that Section 363M met this test because it was based on former Bankruptcy Rule 805. And that rule had reflected lower court case law decisions. The petitioner in the United States, however, make a pretty convincing case that the statutory history for Section 363M does not meet the standard for Congress acquiescing in the treatment of Section 363M or its predecessor as jurisdictional. So in total, the, the petitioner in the United States make a strong case that the text structure and statutory context um, support treating Section 363M as non-jurisdictional. And the reason for requiring a clear congressional determination that a statute limitation is jurisdictional is to prevent wasteful litigation and gamesmanship. And this case illustrates that point very well. Only after transform loss in the district court on the initial appeal on the merits did it raise Section 363M. By getting a second bite at the apple, transform caused a lot of wasteful litigation. Now, treating 363M as non-jurisdictional and therefore waivable does not adversely affect the purpose of Section 363M, which is to reduce uncertainty and therefore increase valuable values for a court-approved sale of property of the estate. So the policy is promote finality. A buyer could very well benefit, however, by being able to waive Section 363M. Why? Immediacy over finality. If a bankruptcy court understood that it was addressing an issue of first impression or adopting a novel interpretation of law, which was the case here, then the bankruptcy court might be more inclined to grant a stay of a sale order. Now, to foreclose a stay, as shown in this case, a buyer may prefer to acquire the property immediately rather than acquiring it later, and, and, and it'd be willing to take the risk that the sale would later be overturned on appeal, instead of waiting to acquire the property at the end of the appellate process, if the stay were granted. Uh, another, another rationale preferring that Section 363 be treated only as a limitation or remedy 
uh, if assignments could not be treated as sales, is is it's sort of it's actually an issue or a point that I'm raising for the first time. So, uh, uh, but I just thought I'd throw this out there for your consideration. Leasehold interests are specialized types of property interests that involve the rights of third parties in their roles as holder of a property interest and not just as creditors of the debtor. And Congress has broad powers under the bankruptcy clause of the United States Constitution to enact law on the subject of bankruptcies, which in my view is the, the subject of adjusting the relationship between debtors and their creditors. And I have, uh, I have, I have written on this point several law review articles, but in my view, Congress does not have the power to alter the non-creditor rights of third parties. Uh, for example, if I file for a bankruptcy, Congress could not authorize my bankruptcy trustee to sell my neighbor's property to pay off my debts. Now, in the case of a lease, you know, a, a, a lessor is a creditor to the extent that it may be owed past due rent. But as just holder of the reversionary interest, it's it's not a creditor. It has a it has its own third-party property interest. So to the extent that a sale of property under 363 affects non-debtor third parties, I believe that Congress couldn't limit the right of the non-debtor third party to judicial review of an Article I court like the Bankruptcy Court. Uh, now, for most folks, this constitutional idea isn't is, you know, a novel one, hasn't been adopted by any courts. But certainly as a matter of policy and in terms of uh, efficient allocation of resources, it, it's not a, I think it's not a good idea to for, for using the bankruptcy code to alter non-bankruptcy rights, except to the extent necessary to adjust the relationship between the debtors and the creditors. So in any event, I think it would be appropriate to teach 363M in a less, less restrictive manner. That is as a limitation on remedy and not on jurisdiction. Now, in addition, MOAC and the Amici law professors argued that even if 363M is jurisdictional, it would not apply to the assignment order approving the assignment of the lease under 365. And, 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 and United States in their brief also sort of pointed out the basic point is what the real question is what order is being you know, reviewed on appeal. Section 365 contains numerous specific requirements and limitations for assignments of leases. Now, it is true that an assignment of a lease is also a sale of property of the estate, and it could be governed by Section 365. However, except in certain limited instances, such as making an assignment of a leasehold interest free of any leasehold mortgage, there's no apparent reason why an assignment under 365 must be treated as a sale under 363. There is considerable textual support for the interpretation that 365 is an independent authorizing provision. It deals with a much more complicated and limited set of property interests, rights under executory contract or under a lease. It contains much more detailed and specific requirements which are suitable and necessary because of the nature of the specific property interests involved. 363 is just, just a relatively very general statement as it relates to just the power to sell property of the estate. In addition, you know, both 363 and 365 contain comparable provisions abrogating ipso facto clauses. Um, now the Second Circuit seemed to try to avoid the issue of whether the assignment order was 363 sale order 
by finding that the assignment under the September assignment order was integral to the February sale order. And the district court had mentioned this point as well, but didn't elaborate on it. I think on the basis of the provisions of the sale order <clears throat> and the provisions for the discretionary designation of leases for assignment under the sale order, without adjustment for the purchase price, I think this, the idea that, that the assignment order was integral to the sale order is just a very dubious conclusion. Uh, I would say in conclusion, my own conclusion is I think that the court is likely to determine that section 363M is not jurisdictional and then remand for further proceedings. Much of the work has been done, had been done by the district court, including determinations on waiver forfeiture and estoppel of section 363M. Uh, the end reverse, the end result of the reversal of the assignment order, I believe, should be that the lease will be deemed to have been rejected. And because of a bunch of variety of provisions that I won't bother trying to describe now. And the real property under the reject, underlying the rejected lease uh, should revert to MA, MAOC Mall Holdings, the petitioner. All right. Well, thank you for uh, breaking all that down. It, it is quite a quite an interesting background. Nice to nice to see, uh, you know, how much how much can come out of uh, out of a Sears lease. You know, who 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 would have thought that that all of this uh, all of this could have come out of that? But uh, yeah, thank you for for breaking that down. Yeah. This. And, uh, yeah, go, this go, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, this I just gonna say this is a lot of fun for me because I, I have specialized in sort of property of the estate aspects, and I've done a lot of work in terms of executory leases and executory con leases and executory contracts. But I had not spent as much time on questions of jurisdiction, so this was kind of fun for me to jump in here. And so, obviously, any errors in my presentation are solely my own fault. Well, uh, I'm 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 glad you uh, you uh, you went through all the materials to to join us today. Thank you again for for making the time. Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of SCOTUScast. SCOTUScast is a project of the Federalist Society, a not-for-profit educational organization of conservative and libertarian law students, law professors, and lawyers, founded upon the principles that the state exists to preserve freedom that the separation of governmental powers is central to our Constitution, and that it is emphatically the province and duty of the judiciary to say what the law is, not what it should be. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast series, including SCOTUScast and Practice Group Podcasts, on iTunes or Google Play. For an archive of past podcasts, as well as audio and video of past Federalist Society events, please visit our website at fedsoc.org multimedia. That's F-E-D-S-O-C dot org slash multimedia. This has been a FedSoc audio production. 